You're listening to the Alternative Investor Mastermind, where we do a deep dive on alternative investment opportunities and the lifestyle it can create. Join Jack Krupe as he presents actionable tips and tricks in doing passive real estate away from mainstream strategies. Go beyond the usual fix and flips and try less explored yet rewarding investing ventures from multifamily properties, mobile homes to Bitcoin mining. Do not miss this opportunity to escape traditional assets and finally create wealth without Wall Street. Now your host, Jack. Hey everybody, we've got a special guest here with us today, Dujovic. Nice to have you with us. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, I just murdered your name. It's okay, it happens all the time. Dude, tell us how you got into real estate. Yeah, it's obviously a long story because I've been in it for going on 17 years now, but I originally got involved in real estate. I started flipping houses after the last recession, after the Great Recession. My parents actually brought me to a seminar and at the time I was young, I didn't really have entrepreneurial direction. I was trying to look for one and I thought that real estate was great. There was low barriers to entry and I got my foot in the door with a real estate brokerage. And then through there, I had a group of five to 10 investors and we would find properties. This was all in Connecticut. It was single multifamily properties, nothing too crazy. They were in the one to three, $400,000 range. And through that process, I began to learn a lot about construction. I oversaw all of the projects, basically from A to Z. I was a licensed real estate agent, so I would go out, I'd find the listings, get them under contract, negotiate them, the whole nine, and then I would oversee all of the construction as well. And then and obviously updating the investors, giving them project updates, financials, all of that. And then I would help with the disposition, whether it was property management and getting it into the right group or keeping the units, or just flipping them too, I'd sell them as a real estate agent. So that was like my first trek into real estate. And then my second half really of my business model was I learned that construction was really important in real estate. And so I went and I got a certificate from NYU in construction management. It was a great course. And I ended up working in five years in high level construction, commercial construction in New York City, and then down in the Fort Lauderdale, South Florida area. And then when COVID hit, I saw the opportunity for some potential influx in a market. And so I began to work on some small investment deals myself. That's great. And we met in Puerto Rico. We're invested in a project together in Puerto Rico. Tell me how you found out about Puerto Rico. Yes, that was really just a crazy story. My business partner at the time, she was supposed to go on a trip with three or four of her friends to Dorado in Puerto Rico. They had everything set up. They had nice house and cool stuff that you'd want to go to for Cinco de Mayo. I'd never really looked into Puerto Rico. I'd never really even thought about it, but she said, Hey, look at, check the Google, the tax incentives and Google what's going on there. There's a lot of wealthy investors going over there. So at worst case, we'll meet some people and we'll get some content and we'll look at a few deals. While I was in Puerto Rico, a gentleman at the birthday party I was at, the Cinco de Mayo party, basically introduced me to the property. And at that time, I didn't think too much of it, but he said he needed some help navigating it, look, raising some funds, potentially looking at the construction. And so I happened to be in San Juan three or four days later, he called me up. We went, looked at the project and then basically fell in love with it immediately. And from there, three or four weeks later, we were under contract. And Four or five weeks later, I was moving to Puerto Rico. Full time to Puerto Rico. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty awesome project. So we're invested in it. It's got a hardware store and retail downstairs and what, four floors and then a restaurant on the rooftop. Yeah, so with the fourth floor, you got a restaurant. So the first floor, basically we set up, there was a hardware store there. It was a very important part of the community. We wanted to be able to at least give a portion of it back. We have a retail space there for the hardware. We have another kind of front retail space, which is another 300, 400 square feet with retail frontage right on Calle Luisa. That's really nice. And then what we did was 
Through the process of me learning about Puerto Rico, I found out about all the additional tax incentives, tourism incentives, and all the benefits for investors that are going into hospitality properties. So with this property, it was originally, it was basically a six unit. It was two commercial units with four residential units and a rooftop that wasn't being used. We're able to go through the Puerto Rico Department of Tourism, get the tax credits that are associated with that. We could probably talk about that for an hour if we wanted to, but then we were able to take that six unit and now we're essentially turning it into a 13 unit. It's gonna be 10 guest house units, a rooftop venue, bar lounge, and then the two commercial units. So we were able to take a six unit, basically over double the unit count, add to the income. Obviously that affects the IRRs and then make it a successful project. Yeah, we could spend hours talking about the tax incentives, but the key one is 40% of the construction budget is returned to you as a grant yeah. or as a credit that can be sold for almost hundred cents, like 95 cents of the dollar yep. that you can get as money returned to investors. Yeah, correct. Yeah, absolutely. When I originally looked at the property, the IRRs in Puerto Rico are actually very a lot higher than they are in the United States, just because you have a little bit of risk. There's a little bit of a couple of things that come with dealing with Puerto Rico. When I originally looked at the project, the IRRs were like 15%, 17%. And I was like, wow, this is a good project. It's higher than you could get in the States right now. I'm in Florida. So Florida, the market, it was just going through the roof. So as I looked into, it, I found out that the property would be eligible for the PR tourism tax. And what that basically means is it's not only only construction amount it's basically the full project purchase price soft costs hard costs literally anything between and then I think you get a year or two of marketing in there and some general fees as well taxes there's like a whole bunch to it but basically we get 40% off basically the entire project that comes back to us in a tax credit and only in Puerto Rico are those tax credits sellable? Basically, yeah, they're sellable for about 90 cents on the dollar, 90, 95 cents on the dollar, depending on where the market is at. And corporations, entities, and individuals that need some additional tax savings come in, they buy them for 90 cents on the dollar, they need that tax savings, we get that back as a cash deal, and then we can return that to the investors, put it back into the building, or go and buy another building. That's great. So we've mentioned IRR a few times, and I get a lot of questions from investors, especially those that are more familiar with just investing in the stock market or maybe REITs that use dividends. And I know how I describe it, but I'm curious, how do you describe IRR to a new investor? Yeah, that's one of the challenges I think you probably see in our industry too, is that there you have a whole array of investors, right? And you have somebody that might want to invest 50,000, or you might have somebody that wants to invest 10 million and they happen to be an analyst at JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley. How you present that information is very key. I found simplifying it is very important too. So one of the things that I, I always see that's an issue is people bring up cap rate initially. Cap rate, in my opinion, and I'm not an expert on this, but cap rate is more related to the actual building. It's not really going to give an investor an idea of what they're getting on their capital. It's related to a financial equation that has the value of the building incorporated into it. IRR to me is very simple. It's what is the return that you're gonna get on the capital? And then it just depends on how you look at it. Do you look at it over a year? Do you look at it annualized? And so that has to be taken into account. I think if you take things into account, this is really what you're getting on your return. So if you put in 100,000 and you make 10,000 back a year, you get a 10% IRR. That's the simple way to describe it. And that's the basis of how I describe it to people. Yeah, somewhat similar to the way I describe it. I usually say it, it's usually relatively similar to an average annual return, yeah. but it's just way more complicated to, in order to calculate it, you have to put it into Excel, you have to go month by month. But in general, it, it works out to most of the time within a few percentage points of an average annual 
return unless there's just a lot of cash that comes back very quickly or something that would mess up the average. I look at cap rate as the great equalizer. Cap rate does not include debt and interest rates change. The amount of money you put down changes. Sometimes you pay all cash for a building, rarely, but when interest rates are that low, it even probably wasn't that smart to pay all cash for a building. But it's a way to just equalize that playing field and say, okay, if you paid cash for this building, what would your average annual return be after all expenses? No debt, just your income minus your expenses, whatever the net operating income is, the purchase price, that's the cap rate. Other than just comparing property to property, there's not much other reason to use it because almost every real estate deal is going to be leveraged uh, at least to a, to some level yeah. and your average annual return your average cash on cash return is usually going to be significantly higher than the cap rate i want to go back to the project you get introduced to a building that was essentially a sh- not a shell but full rehab and had a was the hardware store operating at the time i was yeah how do you go from just seeing a building that has six units that's other than the hardware store vacant and not really generating any income and get to the point where you have plans for a 13 unit plus the rooftop. And yeah, obviously we can't go through every single detail, but things from maybe the architecture, just by a kind of step-by-step, how you get from point A to a point where you can approach investors like me to invest in the project. Absolutely. Number one is obviously dealing with, first you have to purchase the property. So you have to go through the process and make sure you're protected and you have the right team members for the purchase. In Puerto Rico, that actually was a challenge for me because I didn't know anybody in Puerto Rico at the time. Here in South Florida, I have contractors, inspectors, lawyers, everybody lined up. I didn't know anybody out there. In Puerto Rico, number one, you got to make sure you got the right attorney that can close the transaction and that can make sure that they can negotiate it from there. The steps involved in the rest of the purchase are fairly standard to what you're going to see in the United States. You're obviously going to have an inspection. You're obviously going to have an appraisal. You're going to try to get a lender on it and get debt on it. And then you're going to go through that purchase process, which is fairly similar to the United States. Timelines are obviously extended out there and there's a little bit of nuances and differences, but that's gonna be your first step of your purchasing. The next, in Puerto Rico on our project, the next step that we really needed to take was going to the Puerto Rico Department of Tourism because they are then, that tells us what we can do with the project. In the United States, it's a little different. You can't just take like a multifamily building like this, commercial building, and then say, hey, we're gonna turn it into a hotel. It's an entire different zoning, it's an entire different process, you might have to get entitlements, there's a whole different situation that goes on in Puerto Rico with this Puerto Rico Department of Tourism. You get to take a commercial building like ours, that was just basically a standard commercial building, and through this process, turn it into basically a hotel or a boutique hotel, ours is a guest house under that classification. So Puerto Rico Department of Tourism was very important, going through that, having a walk through with them, seeing what we could do and seeing what they would approve, that was the next step to finding out what we could actually do. So at that point, we looked at everything, we looked at how many units you're allowed to do within a guest house, or square footage, ADA, and all the things that go along with that. And basically we came to the determination, we could probably get like nine to 11 guest house units, depending on how we broke them up. And we could also potentially get a rooftop restaurant and the retail spaces would still be there. That also is in coordination, obviously, with an architect. So at the same time, I was dealing with the Puerto Rico Department of Tourism. I'm dealing with architects, getting as built on the original property as is, so we know what we have in place, and then going and doing updated renderings and as built and all of the drawings that 
come along with determining what you can do with the property. So you get an architect involved, you get a designer, and then you can go through that process. And that's just something you do on your own and on your experience. You're trying to obviously maximize the amount of revenue that you could get in there. Obviously, you're trying to make the community happy with what you're putting in there as well. And you're trying to get the best product for your investors. That would be the next stage, I'd say architecture, design, drawing, and then you really go into the construction. So construction, you're gonna need to find a GC. You're gonna wanna have subcontractors as well. You're gonna wanna get multiple prices on everything that you do just to be able to compare. You wanna dig in even a little bit on your own on material pricing, how much is material cost these days. Everything over the last two years has been a little bit topsy-turvy with the economy and supply chains. So you're gonna wanna look into that and then doing the bidding with the general contractors getting the permitting so you want to go through the you got to go through a permitting process the architect and the gc are kind of typically the main ones involved with that so you oversee that process make sure you're covered make sure that everything you're doing is legal through zoning and then after that after all your bidding and everything then you get to construction and so that's probably Good end yeah. point. Yeah. Construction, done. <laughs> That's an extensive amount of work and it takes a lot of experience and time. It's not the type of project that someone watches a house flipping show and just jumps into to do it successfully. And those are the types of projects that we, yeah, that we seek out that are not the type of thing we're competing with the masses to do. That's why we like to work with, with somebody like you. For the record, I invested in this project personally. And the way we work at JCAM is often I'll test out opportunities uh, with a small amount of my personal money. And then once we have a track record and we've proven the concept, we'll then open it up to the JCAM funds and to our investor base. So what's it been like working with myself and JCAM as an investor? You've been great, Jack. Investors that have knowledge of the business obviously take a lot of pressure off of us. We don't have to answer a lot of questions because the ins and outs of obviously you personally have been there for me to be able to reach out to you, ask you questions. I don't know everything. This is one of my first kind of major JV projects in another area, so I don't pretend to know everything. One of the keys, in my opinion, in doing real estate well is finding good professionals, finding people you could trust, and letting them know when you don't know the answer and then asking for them because in real estate and construction you're never going to know every answer so no you've been a great investor every time i was there with either a problem or positivity you're there and you're involved in it and love to obviously work with you in the future yeah absolutely and no project is without its challenges but it's moving along pretty well we've built an elevator this is i think the first other new construction projects that are much larger but a building like this that didn't have an elevator that has as an elevator added to an existing building is is a first and it's interesting and probably a lot of work and coordination to just figure out the planning for that with you and the architects and the team we're working on a project together on cala luisa in a hip part of san juan puerto rico a few blocks from the beach it was a vacant six-unit building and we're converting it into a 13-unit guest house that's going to have significant tax incentives. One of the benefits of working with JCAM is access to projects that are not publicly available. This project on Cala Luisa was not a fund. It wasn't a full private placement with all the disclosures because it was really a close-knit group of investors. Now, I tested this deal personally, but in the future, these projects are not going to be widely advertised and we're going to be the first call to potentially invest in these projects and we'll have access for our investor base to invest in opportunities they would not see otherwise. There's a lot of tax incentives for investing in real estate and opportunity zones are a key one. Duke, tell us a little bit about uh, Puerto Rico and opportunity zones. 
Duke, tell us a little bit about uh, Puerto Rico and Opportunity Zones. Yeah, so Puerto Rico is very interesting specifically because almost all of Puerto Rico is an Opportunity Zone. It's hard to actually imagine that you have a Caribbean island that can qualify for an amazing tax incentive like the Opportunity Zone. Like I said, about 8.5% of all of Puerto Rico is Opportunity Zone, so that just gives investors to be able to purchase all over the island and achieve additional tax incentives that we're discussing. Yeah, it is pretty much the whole island, I think, except for Condado, the really wealthy neighborhood right by the beach and Logan Paul's house and Bad Bunny's house. Those are like the only two places that are not opportunity zones on the island. And for those that aren't aware, an opportunity zone allows you to defer capital gains taxes. If you sell stock, a business, anything that generates a capital gain, it allows you to defer your capital gain until 2026. Then the property that you invest in, if you hold it for 10 years you can sell it in the future capital gains tax-free. The other powerful tax incentive for investing in real estate is depreciation. Now, a typical property, a single family house, for example, you usually will depreciate it over 27 and a half years, which means you get a paper loss of a few thousand dollars in most cases. Usually it just offsets the rent that you may be collecting. With these larger deals that JCAM invests in, we're able to do an engineering study called a cost segregation, And the way the tax laws are written, we can accelerate depreciation. So things like windows, air conditioning units, roofs that may have five or 10 years left on their life cycle can be taken much sooner. Things like roofs, air conditioning units, windows that have a lower life cycle than 27 and a half years, that depreciation can be taken much sooner. And the way the tax laws are written this year is anything with less than 15 years left in its life can be taken as a loss in year one. Now, this is a loss on paper. It's not an actual cash loss, but this can significantly reduce your taxable income. We have investors last year that invested $100,000 in a project that received a $98,000 tax loss on paper while they received eight to $10,000 in actual cash from the rents in their pocket. It's a powerful tax deferral technique. I talk to a lot of investors who want to get into real estate, even investors that are earning hundreds of thousand dollars a year and they watch a house flipping show and they want to do it themselves. What most people don't realize is it's a lot harder and a lot more work than it seems. Tell us about a typical day in in real estate for you. There's two parts of it, in my opinion. There's real estate and then there's construction. The real estate part, I think you can typically get away with not having a tremendous amount of knowledge, depending on as long as you're not speculating or doing something crazy in a luxury market. It does get really tough once you get to the combination of that real estate and construction and fully into construction. And because, especially on kind of the level like this first project that we did, we're not dealing with bonded, high level commercial contractors. You're dealing with that mid tier. So you got to really make sure they know what they're doing. You really got to be there. I meet with contractors typically like anywhere from two to three times a day, first time in the morning. Typically, we'll do a walkthrough at lunch, and then I'll do a walkthrough at the end of the day. You want to catch a lot of any issues that are coming up because contractors are in it for money, obviously. So they're going to try to make the most money that they can. Sometimes that involves not doing the best work or cutting corners or doing things that they know aren't up to code. So you have to be there to catch that stuff. Then you have to coordinate everything with the architect, engineer, structural engineer, the GC as well, your designers, and your investors. So you have a whole group of people that all need to be updated, involved, coordinated, add Puerto Rico Department of Tourism to it, add lending to it. And there's this whole package and whole big 
section of items that you have to do behind the scenes like a lending package seems like it might be easy but it took me i don't know probably 40 to 60 hours easily to really go through and do it the right way and gather all the information same thing for the puerto rico department of tourism you have this big chunk of work that needs to come through we have to create performers we have to create look-aheads we have to create payrolls income and loss statements so you have to gather all that information marketing you have to do obviously we're running a small boutique hotel so then it gets into marketing and overseeing all that so on a day-to-day -day basis i'm literally doing doing one of all of those things at all times. Another key thing is, and hopefully I do a good job on this, is investor updates. Most important thing really at the end of the day is that the investors trust you and feel comfortable with what you're doing and that you're transparent about it. In construction and real estate, things go wrong all the time. Being honest and upfront and saying, hey, these are the critical path items that I'm concerned about just so everybody's aware. I try to do that as much as possible. These are the things that are going good. These are the things that are going bad. Hopefully those are minimal, but getting that whole package and then being able to give them to the investor and convey that you're on top of the deal, you know what's going on, you're paying attention to it, and it's your top priority. And that's, in my opinion, one of the key things, as well as all of those other items. That's, that's a lot of work. And this building has basically been your life for the last almost year at this point. <laughs> yeah, going on two years now. Yeah. And how often are you on site? I lived on site the whole time. Literally, I lived on site. We were just talking about it. So there happens to be two units in this building. And I initially was only planning on staying in there as a stopgap for a month or two, because I really just wanted to test out the systems, test out the plumbing, test out the electrical to see what we were working with. Because contractors will come in and say, none of your electrical is working. It all needs to be new. I lived there for the past month. I know every plug and switch that works and I know that needs to be done. I do not suggest it. Do not live at your property if, you, if there's any way you can. But I knew that this was going to be a tough project. I knew that it was in Puerto Rico where it's difficult. There's a lot more things that are not standardized as they are here. And so, yeah, I literally lived in the building and oversaw the construction for every, literally every single day. What do you think would have happened if you weren't living at the building? There have been a lot of nightmare issues already going on. I can give you just one very good item that would, that's very simple and obvious, but the plumber tried to do all of the plumbing without any vents. So the vents to let the sewer gases out. They told me that they were done with the plumbing. Luckily, I was on site. I saw that none of the vents were done at all, so they had to redo all the plumbing to be able to vent it properly. Get a hotel guest house, that would be a nightmare. If that didn't happen, they would have put all the plumbing in. They would have concrete everything without me knowing. And in eight months, I would be getting phone calls from guests saying that it smells like sewer gases. <laughs> and you don't want to have that happen, obviously. That's wow. just one example. Just shows you really have to be on top of things. Yeah, you do. <laughs> That's all awesome that you were there for that. Alternative Investor Mastermind. Now that you know the many alternative opportunities out there all up for the taking, you can finally become ultra-connected and ultra-wealthy. Get more valuable advice from the experts by subscribing to the show at alternativeinvestormastermind.com. Become a winner in the world of passive investing today in alternative investment strategies. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.